I'm Cameron Silsby, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part six in the series, More of the Holy Spirit. The story of the scriptures reveals God's spirit as actively empowering and interacting with followers of Jesus. Paul even tells followers of Jesus to eagerly desire all the stuff the spirit does. But what about something as potentially mystifying and mysterious as speaking in tongues? What is it and what's the point? All right, my friends, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. That is Acts chapter 2. That is between the books of John and Romans, Acts 2. And we're going to go ahead and start reading together in verse 1. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, that is, uh, Pentecost is an ancient Israelite festival, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the long-awaited moment where God pours out his Spirit on all his people, not just select ones for particular moments or seasons. There is a newfound intimacy and experience through this pouring out of the Spirit, and it hits like a ton of bricks. So keep reading with me in verse 5. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. All were there for the festival, and it was swelling uh, Jerusalem by thousands upon thousands. When they heard the sound of this, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because uh, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, read uneducated hillbillies? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and so on and so forth, down to uh, verse 11. Um, All of them were hearing them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? We are currently working our way through a series called More of the Holy Spirit. It's a series aimed at not just building a theological paradigm for who the Spirit is and what he does, but one that is also aiming to grow our experience and intimacy with the Holy Spirit in the day to day. So there's been tons that we've covered so far. Uh, I think this is teaching six or seven in the series, so please go back and listen to past teachings if you've missed any of them. Uh, if you remember from last week, if you were here, Josh taught on the things that the Spirit does, often re- referred to unhelpfully as the gifts of the Spirit. If you want to know why that's unhelpful, go back and listen to the teaching. Uh, one of those things the Spirit does is called prophecy, and Josh dove into that concept to draw it out and what it is and how to do it well. Tonight, we are going to be wrestling with this fascinating and seemingly bizarre manifestation of God's Spirit, usually referred to as speaking in tongues. If you've been around church for a while, you've probably come across this, and depending on your upbringing, you might have a positive view and experience of speaking in tongues. But I would guess that most people here tonight have either little paradigm or experience of it, or even perhaps some of you might have a negative view or experience with it. So my first experience with speaking in tongues was when I was six or seven. Uh, I grew up in a church that didn't really have a paradigm for the stuff the Spirit did. 
So uh, I was visiting one of my cousins one time, and they went to a Pentecostal church, uh, which if you know Pentecostalism, it's a strand of Christianity that started exactly because of their very high emphasis on the stuff the Spirit does. So there I am in the midst of their service, and I was like looking around and kind of like comparing and contrasting my church and theirs, and there was like, you know, the familiar pews, which was like my church, and you know, there was men and women and kids all dressed up in their Sunday best, like my church, and they were singing some songs, just like my church. It was turning out to be pretty much the same in my mind. And as I was kind of taking in this experience, I only kind of half noticed this man in a gray suit come up at the conclusion of the song, and he said something. I wasn't even paying attention, don't know what he said. But without warning, all of these like normal-looking adults started lifting their hands and shouting or talking loudly in what sounded like gibberish to me. And I looked around like stunned. I was like, what is going on? And then it like turned into being terrified. And so I did this, the like slow motion cry that kids do. I was just like, Wah! started bawling. Um, and then the parent, or the, the adults all around me, oh, look at that kid. He's crying because we're speaking, whatever. I don't even know what they were saying. I was bawling my eyes out. Um, uncle picks me up, is trying to comfort me. And I'm just thinking, you all are a bunch of freaks. That was my first experience with speaking in tongues, and, you know, it could have gone better, um, but obviously a large part of that had to do with my ignorance of what the heck speaking in tongues even was, but for those of us who do not have a Pentecostal background, speaking in tongues can be this mysterious and mystifying thing. When the Spirit does something profound, like, you know, heal somebody, we understand that. You know, a broken bone is healed, or emotional trauma is healed, or what have you. But why speaking in tongues? What special purpose does it accomplish that you couldn't do without it? Well, Paul talks a bunch about speaking in tongues in a letter to the church in the city of Corinth. So let's see what he has to say about it. So turn a couple books in your Bible over to the 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 14 for the remainder of tonight. Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Paul starts this chapter this way, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Why should we care about speaking in tongues? Well, Paul says that we should eagerly desire the, pen, the pen, oh my gosh, well that's great, I'm going to say this word a lot, so hopefully I don't keep stumbling on it, the pneumaticos, there we go. I took Greek in seminary, trust me, I know that those Greek words. Uh, okay, so remember from last week, the word gift isn't there in the Greek. A better way to translate that would be the stuff that the Spirit does. So to eagerly desire the stuff the Spirit does is not a suggestion, it's a command. But for Paul, again, remember from last week, he thinks prophecy should be elevated above speaking in tongues among the other gifts. So it'll help us to have a little background on the church in Corinth to understand what's going on here and why Paul is writing to them. So Paul is writing to the church in the city of Corinth in order to teach and correct them. So in chapters 12, 13, and here in 14, Paul is addressing the stuff that the Spirit does in the life of the church. And from what we can tell about the followers of Jesus in Corinth, they were aware of the Holy Spirit and some of the things that the Spirit does. And for them, speaking in tongues had seeming, seemingly risen to the highest place of value in their weekly gathering, becoming like the spiritual badge of honor and maturity. 
So Paul is discussing prophecy and speaking in tongues in specifically the context of their weekly gathering, something like what we're doing tonight. And he regards prophecy as the most important manifestation of the Spirit in the gathering. And chapter 14 is mostly his reasoning as to why the Corinthians should value prophecy over speaking in tongues as well. So if you're trying to get kind of a mental picture in your mind of the church in Corinth, their gathering probably looked uh, like a, a more chaotic version of that Pentecostal church from my childhood than say our experience here at Van City. So with that in the back of our minds, let's keep reading in verse two. Paul writes, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater or more valuable in the context of the gathering than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Okay, so let's wade through this a bit. If you're taking notes, there are three things that I want to point out in this paragraph. The first is that the word Paul uses that's translated tongues is the word glossa in the Greek, and it could be translated as languages and often is translated as languages, which is important for the concept of this idea of speaking in tongues or languages. Um, this is not babbling, it is actually reflective of spoken language with grammar, syntax, and the like. So why not call it speaking in languages instead of speaking in tongues? Because let's be real, calling it speaking in tongues is a bit weird. Like try that one on your neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus, be like, yeah, I believe and practice the manifestation of the spirit through speaking in tongues, and they'll probably never talk to you again. Honestly though, so uh, why, why not call it languages instead of speaking in tongues? From the standpoint of translating ancient Greek to modern English, it could go either way, and the reason it's kept as speaking in tongues in your modern English Bible has more to do with the tradition of how it's been translated um, historically speaking. And, and think about this, it's also easier to differentiate, differentiate between speaking in tongues as a manifestation of the spirit and just speaking a different language because you're doing, say, your you know, Spanish homework. But really, uh, feel free to translate this in your mind as speaking in languages if that's less, e uh, less weird for you. Okay, so second, um, what the heck is speaking in tongues all about? What is it? A really solid definition is this. Speaking in tongues is when a person speaks in a language they do not understand as an act of prayer and praise to God. Or uh, N.T. Wright, who is a leading New Testament scholar, uh, an Oxford graduate, professor, who also uh, says he speaks in tongues, he defines it this way, the gift of speech, or the gift of tongues, which though making sounds and even using apparent or actual languages somehow bypasses the speaker's conscious mind. So the bare bones of speaking in tongues is this, it's directed towards God, it's prayer and praise, and it's a language that's unknown to the speaker. 
Now, people ask, and there's some debate as to whether it's always a human language being spoken or some sort of divine or angelic language unknown to any human. Um, and my personal take on this is that it could be uh, both and. Someone speaking in tongues could be speaking noble language. Say, if, if I were to speak in tongues and it was actually Farsi, I don't know Farsi, but maybe that's what happens, and through the empowering of the Spirit, I'm speaking Farsi. There's a ton of stories like this, especially from like overseas missionaries. Or I could be speaking a, a language no human knows, some sort of divine or angelic language, which I know for some of you sounds really, really weird. Um, but Paul does mention speaking in tongues of men or of angels back in chapter 13. But really, uh, scriptures don't have much to say, whether it's an actual human language or not, so feel free to agree or disagree with me, whatever you feel like. My last point in this paragraph is this. The main distinction Paul wants the Corinthians to understand is that speaking in tongues is for personal edification or building up. The word uh, to edify, Paul uses, is construction lingo. Like a house being built up, so speaking in tongues builds up the person doing the speaking. Prophecy, on the other hand, builds up the church, as in all the people in the gathering. Paul's desire for the church in Corinth is to make room for the stuff the Spirit does that builds up the entire group at the gathering, as opposed to something like speaking in tongues, which only builds up the individual. But why is speaking in tongues only personally edifying for the individual, not for the entire group at the gathering? Well, uh, Paul gets into that. So look down at verse 6 in 1 Corinthians 14, and he continues on. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp? How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the stuff the Spirit does, try to excel in those that build up the church. Paul uses three metaphors to explain why speaking in tongues is only personally edifying. The first comes from the realm of music. So imagine if Eric, who is up here most weeks helping to lead worship, uh, you know, came up here and he had his guitar and he started like strumming on the guitar, but he wasn't using chords and he didn't really have any rhythm to it, but he was up here like rocking out. Like, I think that's kind of like my impersonation of Eric. He's like really getting into it. Everyone's like, what is he doing? And then he's like, all right, everyone sing out. And everyone's like, ah, we don't know what song you're uh, trying to, to lead us in. Um, so it could be a cool experience for him. He's getting to rock out, do his thing, but not so great for the rest of us. Um, so Paul also uses a metaphor from ancient warfare that's maybe a bit foreign to us. Uh, we're not ancient warriors, at least not that I know of. So common practice was to use a trumpet or kind of more like a modern bugle for us. Um, 
to communicate to the troops uh, what you wanted them to do. So uh, retreat or set up an ambush or set up camp or charge, etc. You get the drift. Uh, the trumpet could only make a few different notes, so it was critical to hear the rhythm and the tone of the trumpet correctly to discern what you were supposed to do as a soldier. You would hate to mistake the trumpet blast of retreat for charge. You might end up dead. And then lastly, Paul uses the, the metaphor of foreign languages. You could be saying like the most profound things, but if your listeners don't speak the same language, you might as well be from a different planet. What you have to say to them is of no benefit. So if I were to say to you, Nobody would know what that means, except any Russian speakers. I know Peter and I, yeah, a little bit, okay, okay. A little, how was that, was that, I, it was pretty bad, okay. <laughs> To be fair, I took Russian 10 years ago. I think that might be the last sentence I have memorized. Um, okay, so uh, what I had to say was actually Philippians 3.20, uh, but our citizenship is from heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. But none of you knew what was going on. Peter and all and I had a moment together, but you guys were left in the dark. And Paul's point in this paragraph is this, since speaking in tongues is incomprehensible to anyone without an interpretation, then if you're going to really embrace the stuff the Spirit does, when you're in the gathering together, make sure to focus on the things that build each other up, not just on yourself. I think a pretty straightforward point. So Paul instructs them how speaking in tongues could actually be useful in the gatherings. Okay, there is a way for it to be useful in the gathering. Look down at verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful or think uh, in neutral, not just turned off. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. When together... As brothers and sisters in the gathering, there's a place for speaking in tongues, but only if there's interpretation. Meaning, one person speaks in tongues and another person through insight given from the Holy Spirit in a similar vein to hearing from the Spirit in listening prayer, believes that they have an interpretation of what the speaker has said. And then that way there's a shared experience and newfound understanding of what's been spoken in prayer and praise to God. And Paul, uh, I think interestingly enough, gives kind of these two broad categories of prayer and singing, uh, one with either the mind or with the spirit. Prayer and singing with your mind is what we're all kind of most accustomed to. You understand what you're saying or singing, and there's a conscious stream of thought behind it, but, but Paul also talks about doing these two things in spirit, which we think is another way of conceptualizing speaking in tongues. There is something about it that bypasses the requirement of forming your feelings into thoughts and words, or forming your feelings and thoughts into words, but instead it takes all of that, 
unformed and raw, and with the empowering of the Spirit, puts them into words that you don't know and don't need to know, quite frankly. We think this is what Paul is alluding to when he wrote this to the followers of Jesus in Rome. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. But when it comes to the gathering, remember, if there's no interpretation, it's better if nobody speaks in tongues out loud. That way, nobody is left alienated and thinking, y'all are a bunch of freaks. So Paul wraps up this section with these two verses. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Scholars have long read kind of between the lines of these two verses and realized the Corinthians were probably looking down on Paul because they spoke in tongues a bunch, and it seemed to them like he didn't, at least not as much. So, you know, the, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament had to clarify some things. He, he does, in fact, speak in tongues, just mostly in private. And whether he's being hyperbolic or not, when he says he speaks in tongues more than they do, he understands that it's much more valuable for the church for him to speak five words they can understand, like, King Jesus is our God, rather than 10,000 in an unknown language. So then, there's no value in him speaking in tongues in front of them since it would be of no benefit to the church. So the letter goes on. Paul has a bit more to say, but we're going to stop right there in 1 Corinthians 14 for tonight. Good job, guys. That was a lot to work through. Um, so what does this all mean for you and I at Van City? Uh, well, firstly, remember, we are commanded to eagerly desire the stuff the Spirit does, including speaking in tongues. So our aim should be to uh, pray for, seek, risk, practice, and continue to do it. And I think this has implications for us as individuals and for the gathering on Sunday nights and for our Van City communities as well. Practically speaking, in my own life, uh, I've been practicing speaking in tongues for almost five years now. And although, uh, in my experience, uh, just to be clear, I've almost exclusively practiced it in private. I can count on one hand the number of times I've audibly spoken in front of anybody else in tongues. But for me, as an individual privately speaking in tongues, the ability to pray through certain situations by the empowering of God's spirit when my words fail ha has really been profound. There are times um, when a situation just feels just too big, you know, too hard or too terrible for you in that moment. You know, when the, the person in your community sits down and says, guys, my marriage, I, I think it's over and I, there's not a whole lot else I can do. Or somebody you love reveals a traumatizing experience that they're just now coming to terms with. Or when your friend looks you in the eyes and says, you know, it, it's cancer. I can think of my father-in-law uh, slowly dying from cancer and just being with him as he grew weaker and weaker. And, and we are hopeful because he's a, he followed Jesus and, and did it well, um, but we are also, uh, I was also hurting uh, really deeply. You know, what words can I pray in moments like those when my spirit is just groaning inside of me? So I would pray in tongues. 
uh, allowing God's spirit to kind of like hold my hand and lead me as I prayed and as my spirit groaned. But on the flip side, there are times of overflowing joy and gratitude and just excitement. There are times when, you know, the spirit heals. There's times when what seems beyond the realm of possibility, you know, there's a, there's a reconciliation that happens in a relationship. Times when life has just been really good and, and when it's easy to see God's goodness and, and generosity and in all the ways that he's been that to you. This happens to me from time to time as I'm reflecting kind of just on my life story and, and what Jesus has done in it. So I came from a really, really broken home and then had a, a stretch in my life where I was uh, uh, very uh, set against the way of Jesus. Uh, but then there was a moment where I was able to actually respond to Jesus' prompting to come back to him and just experience his forgiveness and love and, and, and grace. And now I look and I have a, a beautiful wife and two beautiful daughters. And in moments, there's times when I'm just filled with so much gratitude and joy that my words just fall short. So in those moments... I pray in tongues. I, I express my praise and gratitude towards God for the beautiful and profound things he's done in my life. Sometimes thank you just doesn't cover it. And then there's also moments when your words just fail to capture what you would love to actually pray for. Um, and this happens to me pretty much every week in the gathering. Um, I know like a bunch of you guys, your stories, you know, some of you guys' life is going pretty well, you know, steady Eddie, not bad, uh, which is actually a good thing. Be thankful for that. Uh, some of you guys are um, kind of going through the ringer, struggling, kind of in like the, the season of suffering is super hard and brutal. And then some of you are uh, experiencing an amazing season in your life, uh, or uh, you're seeing God work in really profound and beautiful ways. And then some of you, I have no clue who you are, and I have no idea where you're at. But for everyone here at the gathering, um, the ache of my heart is for each of you to connect with God in a tangible way, to have him speak over you, to sense his presence in your life, to find healing or comfort or perspective or what, what have you. Really, uh, I don't know exactly what each of you needs. So pretty much every week, there comes a moment in the gathering, often while we're all singing, when uh, I think words can't do justice of my desire for each of you to connect with God. So quietly and to myself, I pray in tongues, allowing God's spirit to empower my communication with the Father on behalf of all of you. Nothing showy or fancy, I, and I highly doubt anybody would ever notice me doing it. For Vansity as a whole, my desire is to see our prayer and praise empowered by God's Spirit, energized even more, you know, taken up a level. That idea that Paul had about praying and worshiping with the mind or with the Spirit really stuck out to me in this text. Thinking of us here at City, you know, during our gatherings on Sunday nights, we definitely seem more comfortable and, and practiced at praying and worshiping with the mind, which isn't bad. I see it in the tendency for us to have kind of a more contemplative or reserved energy and, and kind of vibe to the gathering, which again, uh, is not bad. In fact, I, I love it. Uh, I see it as, as you guys taking it seriously, the, the moments we have here to sing songs and study the scriptures and take communion. 
And I think it's safe to say that most people, maybe a few, but most people wouldn't visit here and think, man, these people are wild and crazy. More likely something closer to the opposite side of the spectrum. And I think it's something that uh, we just need to grow in, in in order to be a bit more balanced. Uh, you know, times of contemplation, reflection, and seriousness during the gathering, absolutely, and also times of celebration and overflowing joy and expression of gratitude permeating the gathering. And we are, when we are obedient to follow God's spirit into a place outside of our comfort zone, say, like speaking in tongues, that obedience and willingness and growth in trust bleeds out into other areas of our lives. So if we have a group of people at Van City who have been learning and, to and practicing uh, speaking in tongues on their own and in private, uh, who are then allowing God's spirit to bypass you know, emotional and mental blockages, whose prayer and praise is energized by God's spirit, then that naturally bleeds out into other areas, even encouraging more expressiveness and energy in worship during the gathering. And now, don't get me wrong, we're not aiming to be the Pentecostal church from my childhood. (laughs) What this is about is a desire to grow in prayer and praise to God during our gathering. And really, when it comes to speaking in tongues, having a, a, an interpretation for it, you know, we're, we're open for whatever the Spirit may have for us in the gathering. But uh, it's probably more realistic to see that happen in the context of your Van City community. Perhaps while you know you're having a dedicated time as a community in a listening prayer, you know, just letting your community know, hey. You know, I could be wrong, but I feel God's spirit is leading me to speak in tongues, and I think that there will be an interpretation out of it. And then go for it. See what happens. You know, if you mess it up somehow, don't sweat it. Nobody dies. But out of it, as you and others in your community practice speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues, you get to join in with the prayer and praise of others in your community for everyone's benefit. Remember, speaking in tongues is good. It does build up an individual. And if practiced correctly in the context of community with an interpretation, it builds up the community as well. I suspect for our crew here at Van City, uh, speaking in tongues is something new for most people. So in order to eagerly desire what the Spirit does, it means asking the, the Spirit for the ability to speak in tongues and then just giving it a shot which may sound a a little bit intimidating. Uh, I remember like seven years ago or so, I had a friend from South Africa who was in town, pretty remarkable dude. He was a blind piano tuner. I mean, that is profound. Um, But he also had a Pentecostal background. Anyway, um, so one time we were hanging out, just chilling on his front porch in in the summer, and somehow we got on the topic of speaking in tongues. And when I told him at that point in my life I'd never spoken in tongues, uh, he was really surprised. So he said, you know what, I'm going to pray for you right here, right now, in order for God to give you the ability to speak in tongues. You know, and at that point, still probably my most formative experience with speaking in tongues was that childhood thing. I was like, this is a weird situation. 
but uh, he was a friend, and I went with it. Um, and so he put his hand on me and started praying over me, and then he started speaking in tongues himself, and all of a sudden he said, all right, Cameron, now speak in tongues. And I sat there like, I don't know what's supposed to be happening here. What, what do you want from me? Like, uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, he was gracious, uh, but then he tried again because, you know, why not? And, and he got the same results. Uh, he gave up very disappointed that I did not speak in tongues. So tonight, we're going to have all of you guys line up one by one in the prayer team. <laughs> I didn't even get to finish that. You guys knew I was joking. Dang. Okay, so uh, maybe a better way to give this a shot is in a more private setting. You know, I remember hearing a teaching similar to the one that I'm doing tonight on speaking in tongues, and I figured uh, after hearing it, like, I would just give it a shot, give it a go. Um, and so later that week, I went up into a spare room that we have, and I just went for it. You know, like, no pressure or anything like that. Uh, no friend with his hand over me just waiting for me to go. Uh, I encourage you, uh, honestly, to do something similar. Uh, get yourself into a quiet space with minimal distractions. Maybe turn on worship music if that helps you. And, and just talk to Jesus about any apprehensions you may have. And then when you feel ready, ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to speak in tongues. And remember, speaking in tongues is something that builds you up. You don't need an interpretation for, for what you're saying uh, in order to be built up by it. It's, it's just a way to experience more stuff the Spirit does, particularly allowing Him to empower your prayer and praise. So when a person does speak in tongues, when, you, when you're like, all right, Holy Spirit, I want to speak in tongues, how do I do this thing? Realize, I want to set a little bit of expectations. Uh, a person does not fall into a trance. So it's not like all of a sudden you can't control anything and your mouth is just going. Uh, it's more like your mind is, is, remember, in neutral, not just shut off. Um, the best way I can describe it from my own experience and then others have described it kind of in similar ways is that when I first asked the Holy Spirit to empower me to speak in tongues, I just had this kind of fairly subtle, almost physical urge to start forming words. And it was something that I could totally just not give into and not go for. Um, but uh, I went for it. So I said two or three words that I didn't understand. And then I felt really stupid. I mean, is this real? Is this just me? Am I just saying gibberish? But greater than those doubts um, was this deep desire I had to take seriously the things of the Spirit in my life. So with those doubts at, at times very loud in the back of my mind, I just kept practicing speaking in tongues. And over time, I began to say more words and phrases. And now today, after years of practicing it, it feels really natural and honestly comforting to do. It's part of my daily prayer rhythm where I have dedicated time to switch from you know, praying in, in my mind uh, to praying in my spirit. And I also do it spontaneously from time to time as I'm praying throughout the day. But maybe you do all of that. You, you have your own spare room. You go up there. You say, all right, Holy Spirit, help empower me to speak in tongues. And nothing. Remember, things like speaking in tongues or healing or prophesying is given as the Spirit wills. Sometimes... In some moments, nothing happens even when you ask, and that's okay. 
You are not a second-class follower of Jesus if you don't speak in tongues. It absolutely does not call into question whether God has saved you and adopted you into his family. There's been some really well-meaning followers of Jesus who have done a ton of harm over, uh, by their overemphasizing the importance of speaking in tongues, even more so than the Corinthians did. So if you give it a shot and nothing seems to happen, it just means keep asking and eagerly desiring to speak in tongues. That's it. Thanks for listening to Vance City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vance City financially at vancity.church/give.